as we think about uh, difficult times, um, we often look to something to cling to for help. Uh, if you kind of imagine if you were thrown like into an ocean or a lake with, you know, and it's maybe whether it's a storm or not, you'd be treading water for a while. Um, and if there's like a, if there were like a lot of waves, you would look for kind of anything around to grab onto that you wouldn't have to tread water any longer. Anything that could help you uh, be able to stay afloat, you'll look for anything to grab onto. And 2020 has been one of those years where we all maybe feel like we're just treading water and it can feel like as soon as we maybe are just about to catch our breath from something or maybe just not, we're just still like gulping in water and just still treading, another wave comes and it's like, okay, I don't know how long I can do this. And maybe you feel like you're just swallowing water, not even treading anymore and you just are going under, it's just been too much to handle. And in the midst of that, we kind of will grab onto anything, just, I just need to grab onto this, anything floating by and like to get me through. And you can, this is one way we, you know, what, what will give me security or what will give me comfort, what will give me relief? And for me, when I look at my life, uh, my, when we were going through the, the series we just were in, um, when we were going through especially the 4Gs before, I was realizing, you know, food is one of those things I often look to for comfort of just like, you know, this would really make me uh, feel relieved. This, is, this would comfort me. Or watching TV shows is something I would look for. Okay, things are really hectic right now and I'm feeling stressed. I'm going to have some good food or I'm going to watch a TV show. I also will look to, uh, okay, things are really difficult and uh, stressful. I need to just do everything perfectly so I can feel like I'm in control. Those are things I'll grab onto when I'm feeling like I'm treading water. And so we all reach for something uh, when times are turbulent or when things are difficult. Like, what are you going to grab onto? And we're starting this series uh, in the book of Micah, uh, and it's going to lead us up into the first week of December. We're not going to finish Micah then, but we're going to take a pause right at Micah 5 which is there's a famous passage there that talks about uh, the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. And then we're going to stop for a three-week series in Luke um, to head up into Christmas. And then we're going to finish off Micah in the new year. Um, but Micah is a book uh, that talks about, uh, I mean, Micah lived in turbulent times. And we're going to get into a little bit of what those times are were like for him. But as I was praying about and thinking about what do we really need to hear as a church, um, right now, and when um, the, a lot of the prophets speak into situations where they the people were experiencing turbulent times, or they were uh, they and the prophets speak into a lot of situations when they're seeing injustice uh, and oppression, and when they're seeing uh, people not living how they're supposed to live. And so we're seeing in our our country and around the world a lot of people bringing up, you know, there's a lot of racial injustice and inequality, and so we're seeing that in our society. We're also seeing all the, all of what's happening in the pandemic and how that's bringing a lot of divisiveness and hatred and um, people being in isolation, how it's bringing just a lot of uh, issues to the surface in our country and around the world, and people just arguing with each other. And then now we're in this political uh, season, where, season where there's a lot of a division, and we're in another... Um, election that is very divisive where it's like okay do we 
is either one of these candidates good? And like people are just arguing back and forth and where a lot of Christians feel like, I don't know if I have a good choice of who to vote for. And so it's like, what do we do when we see leaders and we're not sure if our leaders are really holding up to the character tests that we need to hold them to? And Micah was a, a prophet, a man of God, who was living in a time when a lot of this same stuff was going on. And he uh, calls people... Um, some of the themes we'll see in this book, he calls, talks to people who are trusting and hoping in things besides God. Uh, and he talks to them, what are the consequences of doing that, both in what you're, it's doing to you and what are the consequences to your relationship with God? And then he offers hope in the midst of it. What's the hope that God offers you of how to get out of this? And so the series, uh, the title for this sermon series is you know, Micah, who is a God like you? And we'll get into a little bit of what, why that sermon title, that series title, Micah, Who is a God Like You? And the big idea for this passage today in Micah 1 is uh, turning from God uh, turns God against you. Turning from God turns God against you. That's the big idea from Micah chapter 1. Turning from God turns God against you. And we're just going to we're going to use Micah chapter 1 verse 1 as a good way to introduce what this book is all about, but the big idea for this chapter um, and is turning from God turns God against you. And if you look at Micah chapter 1 verse 1, you can we'll get this intro to what the book to what who Micah is and what he he's about a little bit. And so Micah chapter 1 verse 1 says, starts off by saying, The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morishet. And so, first off, we see the word of the Lord that came. The word of the Lord that came to him. So he's speaking on behalf of God. These are not his own words. This isn't just, okay, Micah one day went off in the woods and he had this great idea. And, oh, you know, I had some reflections and I wrote them down. No, this is the word of the Lord that came to Micah. He's speaking on behalf of God, not his own words, but God's words. And we read in the New Testament, 2 Peter 1.21, he describes the prophets in this way. Micah is known as one of the minor prophets. He's one of the prophets of the Old Testament. And 2 Peter 1.21 says this, that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so what is prophecy? What, what do prophets do? And we often think they're kind of predicting the future. It's like you kind of go into fortune tellers or whatever, and it's like, what's my future going to be? And they do that sometimes, but prophets, you know, God and Israel, the nation of Israel, were in this covenant relationship. Israel came from the family of Abraham. If you remember the book of Genesis, a lot of you were here when we did that series. Uh, but God and Israel were, were in this covenant relationship. They were supposed to love him with their whole hearts. They're supposed to love their neighbors as themselves, and they're supposed to represent him to the world. And prophets um, were the ones who represented God in this relationship. And they, spoke by, and they spoke on God's behalf in this relationship. And so the main role of the prophets was to call God's people back to God when they had gone astray. They would call God's people back to God by telling them what they've done wrong, warning them of the consequences, calling them to repentance, and speaking of future hope. And so the prophets in this relationship, God would say, things are going wrong, 
they'd send the prophet to speak on their behalf in the relationship. And they'd say, look, uh, this is what's gone wrong. These are the consequences. If you keep going in this path, I'm calling you to repentance. And there's hope. If you, if you turn back, and also if you don't turn back, there's still future hope for what God's going to do, even despite your sin. And so this prophet spoke on behalf of God in the relationship with Israel. And if we look just, there's a couple, as we go through Micah, it can be, if you're reading through it, you can be like, whoa, I'm a little, maybe even as you heard chapter 1 read, you're like, I am lost. I don't know what's going on here. And that can happen a lot in the prophets of like, I don't know who, what these towns are. I don't know what these nations are. They're using weird words. And there can be just some kind of pillar verses in the, the book that can help anchor us and be like, okay, if I remember this, I can remember what Micah's about. And so chapter 3, verse 8, is a really good like summary statement of what Micah believes his calling is. So Micah 3.8 says this. He says, As for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. So what does Micah think he, his job is? What's his mission? He says, I'm filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and might. God has given him his spirit, this power, to do what? To declare to Jacob, which is another name for Israel. Remember Jacob, uh, in the in book of Genesis, gave birth to the twelve sons, who all became the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. And Jacob got his name changed to Israel. Uh, to Jacob, his transgression. To Israel, his sin. He's declaring transgression and sin to the nation of Israel. He's like, that's what I've been called to do. God has called me to deliver this word um, to the nation of Israel. And so he's, I'm saying this on behalf of God. This is what you got, where you guys have gone wrong. So that's a, Micah 3.8 is kind of his statement. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then we learn, okay, first, chapter 1, verse 1. So the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moreshet. And so his name is Micah. And he's from Moreshet. Uh, and Micah is the short form of the full name Micaiah. And Micaiah it means who is like Yahweh. And Yahweh is um, often we're reading um, Lord. So the word of the Lord, the actual Hebrew word there is Yahweh. That's God's personal name in the Old Testament. And it gets translated as Lord because the Jewish people, um, the Israel Israelites, uh, didn't want to pronounce God's name. They're like, it's too holy to pronounce. So they would say, they would say Lord there instead. They would use the Hebrew word Lord. But it, so this, his name is, who is like Yahweh? Who is like the Lord? That's what his name means. And there's a lot of judgment in this book. There's a lot of this is, I'm declaring to you your sin and your transgression, Israel. I need to tell you about this. This was God sent me to do. But his name, who is like Yahweh? is a question that he comes to ask, actually, at the end of the book. He uses his very name uh, to ask that question. And so if you look, this is another one of those foundation passages in Micah, if you want to know how to understand it, uh, that right at the end of the book, Micah 7, chapter 7, verse 18, he, he asks the question, Who is a God like you? Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you? You know, so that's like his name. Who... Who is like Yahweh? Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever, 
because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. And so Micah, when he says, who is a God like you? He's just astounded by God's grace. He says, there is no God like our God in showing grace and compassion. Look what he's going to do. He's going to pardon our iniquity. There's no God who pardons iniquity like our God. There's no God who passes over transgression like our God. There's no God who who does this, who delights in steadfast love, who's compassionate like our God. And so Micah, he's going to have all this stuff about, here's the judgment that's coming because of your sin. But in all of it, there's always the hope of you can repent and you can be totally forgiven of it. And so there's these warnings of what will happen if you stay on this path, but there's always the, there's nobody like my God, our God, who will forgive you if you turn back to him. And so we need to remember that. And then he's Micah of Morashet. And often a lot of the prophets are identify themselves by their heritage, kind of like their ancestry. Like, oh, I'm Isaiah, son of Amos, And he doesn't say, I'm Micah, son of so-and-so. He defines himself by where he's from. He's from this country town outside of the capital city, Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is where he was doing his ministry, talking to the, the kings of Judah. Um, but he's from this country town. And so he was really in touch with the plight of the, kind of like the the... Uh, the lower class people that were the blue collar working folks. And so he could really plead their case before the people in Jerusalem who are having uh, a lot of the, uh, uh, bring a lot of the oppression that we'll see happen in later, in the later chapters. But what does he say? He says, okay, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morashet in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. And so, considering, concerning Samaria and Jerusalem, why is it these two places? These are the two capitals of, one, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And if you don't know much about the history of the nation of Israel, they started off, the nation of Israel the, you know, started off as one nation, uh, one kingdom, um, under first there was Saul that God rejected as king, and then there was King David, which you've probably heard of him, and then his son Solomon. But then Solomon, Solomon's son Rehoboam was a really bad king, and so God said, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you. And so then the kingdom splits into two. There becomes a northern kingdom, the northern kingdom called Israel, and the southern kingdom called Judah. It splits in two. And then if you're reading in the Bible, there's these two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. They have two different histories, two different lines of kings. And the capital of the northern kingdom was Samaria. The capital of the southern kingdom was Jerusalem. And so uh, Micah is saying, okay, I have uh, the word of the Lord for Samaria and for Jerusalem. I'm going to declare their sin and transgression to both of them. And so that's what's happening here is he's saying, I've got these two I'm declaring it to. And so we have that. That's what's happening. But then he says, okay, but I'm living in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So he's saying, I'm living in the southern kingdom of Judah, and these are the kings that I lived under. And these, and it's that's really helpful for us to know which kings he's living under, because you can go back into the book of Second King, First and Second Kings, the books of First and Second Chronicles, and you can actually read, oh, what was it like to live under these kings? Were these good kings? Were these bad kings? 
what were some of the historical events that happened. And if you go back and look, uh, Jotham was the first king that's named, but right before Jotham was the king uh, Uzziah. And Uzziah was a mixture of a good and bad king, but uh, the time during Uzziah was a time of prosperity. Uh, the, the kingdom was doing well. Uh, the economy was going well. Things were pretty secure. They got to expand their borders a bit. Um, and so that was like, you know, a roaring economy. But then things started to go downhill uh, during these three kings that um, Micah names here. Jotham was a mixture of good and bad, a good and bad king. But then Ahaz is a really bad king, a very bad king. And there's actually two wars that happened during Ahaz's time, and we'll come back to that. And then uh, Hezekiah was a very good king, who we actually learn about was really affected by Micah's preaching. It's really cool in the book of Jeremiah. We learn one of the, the book of Jeremiah quotes one of the verses from Micah and says, this is what happened. Hezekiah heard this sermon from Micah and he, this is what he did about it. He repented. There was like a revival that happened. And when we get to that verse in Micah, we'll talk about that, how Micah had this really big impact in Hezekiah's day. But there is also a war uh, in Hezekiah's day. And so these three kings, I'm going to put, get excited. You guys thought you'd miss out on a whiteboard today, but here it is, whiteboard. Let me erase this, get this out of here. So here, if you want to, just give me a thumbs down or a wave if you're not seeing what I'm seeing, the whiteboard stuff. So, so here we go. So this is like the kingdom and it like splits off, so northern kingdom, southern kingdom, and so you have King David, Solomon, this we talked about, and then right here it splits with his son Rehoboam, but then there goes off, this is the, this is the northern kingdom going off, and this is the southern kingdom, it goes longer, and so this is where um, Micah's living. We have Jotham, uh, Ahaz, Hezekiah. But then what happens during there, so then we have, so we're coming along, Jotham the first king, not much happens during his, no wars happen during his reign, but during Ahaz, there's one war that happens early on. Uh, this is called the Syro-Ephraimite uh, War, when actually the northern kingdom of Israel uh, sa says, hey, Syria, let's, let's rebel against, uh, at this time, there's this big empire called the Assyrians that are taking over the world, uh, at least that part of the world. And then Syria and uh, the northern kingdom of Israel said, we're going to rebel against this. And they tried to get Judah to join, the southern kingdom to join, and they said no. So then they attack Ahaz in the southern kingdom. Um, so they experience a war. Um, but then eventually, because of the northern kingdom's rebellion, Assyria comes and says, you know what, we're going to wipe you out. And so at about this time, right here, the northern kingdom actually ends. So that's why their little timeline up on the top here, the northern kingdom ends because this war happens, they come in, and they just get taken out of the land. But then uh, on the bottom here, Hezekiah experiences a war here. And so during Micah's lifetime, there's these the black lines on the bottom here represent three the three kings he lived under, but he experienced these three wars 
during his lifetime. And then on the top, he saw one of those wars ended up in, he saw the northern kingdom actually uh, get taken out into exile. So he witnesses half of, you know, like the people of Israel just leave. He witnesses them go taken off into exile. And so he lives through, if you add up the years of these kings, we don't know if that was the entire life of his um his entire lifetime, but these three kings add up to 55 years, three kings, and three wars during that. And so just think about what would it, what's it like, what would it be like if we were invaded, if the United States was invaded? What would that, what kind of situation would that create for us? What kind of turbulence would that create? And think about the turbulence we're experiencing right now and the, and the unrest and uh, what, what we're feeling because of that. And he lived through three kings, mixture of good and bad, you know, different characters, different successes and failures, and three wars. And so that's the situation that Micah has. Now we can now see what that he uh, speaks into. So the, he then starts off in verse 2. He, this is kind of going to be like God bringing the people of Israel to trial. And so when God brings people to trial... God is both uh, the witness, the plaintiff, and the judge. He like acts as all three. And so this is, uh, in verses 2 to 4, it's like court's about to be in session, uh, and God is coming as a witness against them. And so he says to them, Hear you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. So God says, I'm coming to witness against you. Uh, and he's saying, I'm, I've seen what you've done. I'm going to witness against you. He's the plaintiff here. You, and you don't want the Lord to be a witness against you. And so what does he say? Like, look, hear, hear, pay attention, and let the Lord God be a witness against you. He's, the Lord is coming from his holy temple. And it says, okay, verse 3, for behold, behold is like a word. Okay, look, watch, you know, get your eyes on this. The Lord is coming out of his place. And will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And so the high places, uh, that could mean, you know, the hills and the mountains. But high places were also a common word used, often used in the Old Testament, talking about these, there's kind of like on the hills or the mountains is where people would build these shrines or like little, kind of like little uh, temples to other gods. And so when Israel was going astray, they would build these shrines on all the high places and worship other gods besides uh, the Lord. And so this could be God's just walking on the mountains, or it could be he's treading on these mountains to stomp on all these shrines with these other gods. In verse 4 it says, And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open. So the mountains are melting. The valleys are splitting open. You're like a water balloon. And like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. And so this is like this terrifying image. Like God is coming and he's just walking on the mountains, like stomping out these high places. The, the, and the mountains and the valleys are like wax before the fire, just melting away. Like waters poured down a steep. It's just woof. This is God coming. And so verse 5 now is telling us, okay, what's the accusation? What is this testimony against people? What is... The, what is he saying as the plaintiff in this court? Verse 5 says, All this, why is he doing this? All this is for the transgression of Jacob, 
and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Remember, Jacob is another name for the nation of Israel. Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? And so Jacob is another name for the northern kingdom of Israel. And Samaria is their capital. And then Judah is referring to the southern kingdom of Judah. And Jerusalem is their capital. And so he's saying, why am I coming out to do this? This is for the transgression of Jacob and the sins of the house of Israel. And he's like, okay, what's the transgression of Jacob? Look, look at the capital, the place where all the leaders are, the places that's supposed to be leading the people and what's right. That's where it's the worst. That's where the leadership is doing things wrong. They're corrupt. They're tainted. They're, they're totally on the wrong path. And then he says, look at the same is happening in Judah, Jerusalem. Everything is messed up there. The temple's messed up. The worship's messed up. The leaders are messed up. So I'm coming for this. And so verse 6, what's going to happen? Therefore, this is the consequence. This is the, uh, the, the, the sentence that's being delivered. Therefore, I will make Samaria, I'll make their capital a heap in the open country. It's just going to become a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards. You're just going to level it so now it can just be farmland. And I'll pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. So before, uh, the mountains were going to be poured down, like, like water is being poured down a steep place. But now that picture gets changed to Samaria and that capital and everything built on that hill. The rocks of that are going to be poured down. It's like the same image. And he's going to do that until her foundations are the only thing left. And verse 7, all her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. And this prophecy about Samaria's destruction and the northern kingdom of Israel's being taken over, it, it comes true in Ahaz's day, days, King Ahaz's days as I was talking about. In 722 BC, 800 years before Jesus, Assyria, the empire of Assyria, invades and takes over the northern kingdom of Israel. And they take them off into exile. And Samaria, the capital city, isn't completely destroyed, but as a nation, they cease to exist. And so this all comes true. What Mike is saying here, what God warned, they didn't turn around and they, this all comes true. But you may be wondering as you read this, well, how do idols work? He's talking about carved images and idols. I don't get any of that. And part of the religion of Baal worship, Baal was one of the common gods in that day, uh, spelled B-A-A-L, uh, that and this had infected the northern kingdom. And one, and I'm going to try to be discreet here. It uses the word uh, prostitutes here. And I'm going to try to be discreet because we have the kids here. Uh, part of it was there would be these prostitutes set up in the shrines. Uh, and Baal was a fertility god. And he was kind of in charge of the storm, uh, storms and the, the rain and the lightning. And so if you wanted, uh, you wanted your crops to do well, you needed Baal to be happy with you and you needed him to give fertility to your land. And so one of the religious rituals for helping Baal to make your land fertile is going to the shrine uh, to be fertile with the person there. Um, that's my discreet way of saying what was happening. I think you catch the drift. Uh, 
uh, and the people of Israel would take gold that they got from these payments. So they're running these shrines um, where these women were and people are coming and paying them and then they would get take the money taken from, from that. They would melt it down and then they would use it to cover their statues of Baal and what other gods they're worshipping. And so people are coming, they're paying the women at these shrines uh, to enact this religious ritual. They're taking that money, melting it down, and then they're using it to make their statues of Baal more beautiful, to be covered with gold. And so what God is saying here is that the Assyrian Empire is going to come, they're going to plunder all these shrines, they're going to tear that gold plating off of, of your idols, then they're going to take it back to their own land and use it to pay their own cult prostitutes in their religious rituals. So he's saying, from the fee of a prostitute, you gathered these all this stuff, and to the fee of a prostitute, they're going to return. So he's saying, like, it's kind of like poetic justice. And prostitution was also an image used for, for cheating on God. He's saying, like, you're supposed to be married to me. And what are you doing? You're, like, going behind my back with these other gods. And so the destruction that was just an image before when God was coming out that these mountains are going to be like water poured down a steep place and that uh, the val things were going to melt like wax before the fire. Now those are coming true here that the city is, the stones are going to be poured down the valley. The stones are going to be poured down and now the, the wages are going to be burned with fire. And in verses, the issue here is broken relationship. God made it very clear that they should not do what they were doing. Because the Ten Commandments, verse 1, no, commandment 1, no other gods before me. Verse 2, no, or commandment 2, no images. And what are they doing? You're putting a god before me, you're worshiping carved images. And he made it very clear what would happen if these they broke these commands. Moses told them, Deuteronomy 4, before they're going into the land, listen, if you worship idols, if you worship other gods, you will go into exile. It was so clear. And he warned them over and over again, over decades and over hundreds of years, through the prophets, to change their ways, or this is going to happen. And God is slow to anger, and slow to bring about judgment, but they just did not change. And so we see our big idea, turning from God turns God against you. And the way God turns against you is by turning you over to your destructive choices. It's like, okay, you're choosing this. This is decades and even centuries of unfaithfulness on their part. And so God, these are the gods you want to worship and you don't want to be worshiping me? Okay, well, here you go. And, and so for us, we may think, well, we don't, I don't have a little God made out of gold in my room that I'm worshiping. I'm not doing this kind of stuff. Jeez, how bad are they? And Martin Luther said in a, a little book that was used to teach people about the faith, he said, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Idols are anything we look to as our ultimate source for something only God can provide. Our ultimate source for peace, change, comfort, approval, happiness. When we turn from God to something else as the ultimate source for anything, that's an idol. 
And when we replace God as the ultimate source, that's an idol. When your happiness or your peace or your security or comfort depends on something besides God, that's an idol. And when you're saying you can only be at peace or feel loved or hopeful if you have this thing or if this thing happens, that's an idol. Idols are anything we look to as our ultimate source for something that only God can provide. When we turn to God for something else as our ultimate source for anything, that's an idol. And so we've used it a lot, I've used it a lot, uh, especially in the previous series, you know, if only blank. That's how you can find out what's, what are you looking to for your ultimate source of something? If only blank. You know, what, how do you, how do you go about your days? What are you filling in that blank? If only blank, if only blank, you're just always thinking that, oh, if only blank, you know, you come home and you're, the things you're frustrated about or worried about or nervous about or. Uh, annoyed about, well, if only blank, if only so-and-so would do this, or if only I could get the house clean, or if only I could have more money, or if only I could have more time off, or if only my kids would listen, or if only this would happen, or if only this person would do this, if only blank, you know, and what would be the thing in that, that that blank would give you? If only blank, then blank, you know, if only I had more money, then I would feel secure. If only this person would do this, then I would be happy. If only blank, then blank. You're looking to that for something only God can, as the ultimate source for something only God should be providing you. And of course, people can give us happiness, and our jobs can give us happiness, and money can do things for us. Things, it's, it's the ultimate source thing. It's that it's the ultimate source. It's like, it's only if I have that thing that I can be happy. It's only if I have that. I have to have that in order to be accepted, in order to be approved, in order to have freedom or happiness or security. It's without that I can't be happy, or without that I can't have peace, or without that I can't have hope. It's that you need that because it's your ultimate source of that. Those are our gods. And Israel and us are called to find all those things in God. It's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. So what is Micah's heart and attitude as he does this? He says in verses 8 through 9, he says, For this, for this destruction, this consequence coming upon them, I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable and has come to Judah it has reached the gate of my people to Jerusalem. Micah takes no delight in delivering this news. You know, if we ever take delight in telling somebody about their sin and what they deserve for it, we've, we've, we're out of step with the attitude and the mindset of God and of the Bible. If we tell people, you're going to hell because that's what you deserve, and we like telling somebody that, and we somehow just are like really loving to push that down into people, and are like, we, we just get some sort of weird satisfaction about that, and we're saying it with anger uh, because they just need to know it, uh, then we're out of step with, out of alignment with God's heart and how Mike is showing us he is representing God's heart. Romans 9.2, the Apostle Paul says, as he's talking about his people being lost and without God, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. 
when he's thinking about his uh, fellow Israelites who are not saved. But Micah says, he's also saying, they need to hear it. My job I've been given is to declare to Israel their sin and their transgression. They need to hear this reality. But he's lamenting and he's wailing about it. He's going stripped and naked. Stripped and naked is like, he's like grieving about it. I'm grieving about this fact that they have gone after other gods. And now this is the reality of what they brought upon themselves. And then he's also mourning about, verse 9, For her wound is incurable and has come to Judah. It's like this disease, this disease of idolatry has come to the southern kingdom. Israel was infected, the northern kingdom was infected. And that disease has come to the southern kingdom of Judah, to the gate of his people, to Jerusalem. It's infected his capital city too. So I want to ask you, when you think about other people's sin, and other people being lost without Christ on a trajectory to hell, are you bothered by people living in sin? And bothered in a good way? Because we can be bothered in a way that just we're just annoyed and fed up with it. I'm so tired of how sinful this person is it's just so annoying like can't they just get over and stop it but are you bothered in a good way that people are sinning and they're lost and in the way that mike is that he's telling these people what their idolatry has brought them and their sin and transgression has brought them and where they're going he's saying it and he's not saying it with this you know right this in this way that is like, I'm just taking so much delight in telling you this, but he's bothered by it to his core and wailing and lamenting about it. Then he moves on to talk about Judah, his the place he's living. This was all about, 2 through 7 were about the northern kingdom of Israel. 8 and 9, he laments about it and then looks at, about that fate and then how it's come to Judah. 10 through 16 is about how there's a threat of the same judgment coming to Jerusalem. And we, all these towns that he names that were read through are, he kind of does a play on all of their names. Why? And we may ask, well, why are these towns? Why does he go through these towns? You know, tell it not in Gath, weep not at all in, in Beit Afra. Roll yourselves in the dust. And if you looked at a map, these are towns that, as uh, somebody was invading, um, and, and Assyria did come and invade um, a, a region of the area called Philistia. And if they were coming from Philistia, they would go through all these towns on their way to Jerusalem. Um, and so these, these are like the towns that would be taken over uh, from if Assyria was invading and they would come through all these towns on their way to Jerusalem. And so he's kind of like going through all these towns would be taken over. Um, and he uses the name of the town to show their fate. And so it's kind of like uh, each of these towns, if you like translated the meaning of their name. Um, and we maybe have like, you know, special names for towns like Philadelphia means brotherly love. And so it's called the city of brotherly love. Or like Chicago, the name of it doesn't mean Windy City, but we're known as like the Windy City. Or Paris, the city of love. Las Vegas is like Sin City. And it's like if you took, if you were trying to tell the fate of each of those cities and you like took a little play on their name and were like, oh, Philadelphia, you know, you're, there's not going to be any brotherly love found in you because there's not going to be brother, any brothers left or something like that. I don't know, you know, something like that. Uh, and so he's like, so this second town, Beit La Afra, um, Afra is kind of, is 
sounds like the word for dust. And so he says, roll yourselves in the dust. Like, you're the house of dust. Roll yourselves in the dust. Uh, and then shafer, pass on your way, inhabitants of shafer. Shafer means beautiful. And then he says, uh, in nakedness and shame. So, like, they're, the name means beautiful, but they're stripped naked and shameful. And zanin, the next one, the inhabitants of zanin do not come out. Zanin sounds like the word for going forth. But instead of going forth, they won't come out at all. It's like they're so afraid. And so he used, goes through all of them and he's like, you're, uses their name to describe their fate as they're being taken over, the threat of being taken over. Like if you continue on this path, this is going to be your fate if you're taken over. And then in verse 15, uh, he tells them, he's saying, God's saying, I will, con I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Maresha. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. And so God, what's God doing? He's bringing a conqueror to them. Another nation is coming. How is God bringing the consequences to them? A conqueror is coming. And God, this is God's bringing his judgment to them. And then verse 16, he tells them, Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. And so he says, this is the ultimate fate. If you mourn, because exile is coming if you don't get off this path. And so exile is, I gave you this land as a gift, as a fulfillment of the promise I made to your forefathers. But it is a privilege, and if you're going to reject me as your God, if you turn from God, I'm going to turn against you. Turning from God uh, means God turns against you. And so if you're going to walk away from me, okay, after these other gods, okay, I'll... You're going to leave the land. You are separated from me. And I've used this image before, but there used to be these commercials. I don't know if they do them anymore. Like these smoking commercials where it'd be like, have you ever thought about the effects of smoking? And uh, they would kind of have somebody sitting, I don't know, in a chair. And then they would like show them with all this tar on the outside of them. And they'd be like, oh, if you could see what smoking is doing to you on the inside, uh, and if it was put on the outside, you would stop doing it. And this is like God's putting, uh, this is what you're, how you're living spiritually, this is what it's doing to you. You're ruining yourselves spiritually, which is also, you're ruining yourselves morally and ethically. And you've ruined your relationship with me. And I'm going to make that evident to you. You need to, you're going to leave this land. I'm going to declare it to you. This is what you've done. And you're going to leave this land. I'm not, you're not going to just live happily here like everything's fine. I'm going to show you what it's done to you. And so as we conclude to think about our own lives, I had a professor in seminary who said, who said this once. He said, sometimes God, he used a, a big a word. We, I think he made up a word, so I'm going to change one of the words. Uh, sometimes God teaches us the emptiness of our attachments. By, by allowing us to get them. Sometimes God teaches us the emptiness of our attachments by allowing us to get them. So in other words, the things that we're clinging to, we're holding on to for our hope uh, and our peace, or our joy that aren't God, sometimes God teaches us how empty those things are by allowing us to get them. And here, Mike is telling them, look, this is where these idols get you. I'm giving you this warning. Let it be a wake-up call that you can turn back to God. Like there's grace 
and there's mercy. If you turn back to God, he will forgive you. There's no God like him in pardoning iniquity and transgression and sin. Turn back to him. But if you don't, look, this is where it's going. And you're going to see even more of the emptiness. Like you've already, you're already seeing the emptiness of it. We're going to see in chapter 2 and 3 how empty this has made their society and culture. Um, but you're going to get even more of the emptiness. You're just going to leave this land. You're going to become slaves of people. It enslaves you. It separates you from all things good. And so for you to ask for your personal application, what are you looking to as the ultimate source for something only God can provide? What are you looking to as the ultimate source for something only God can provide? What are you looking to as the ultimate source for something only God can provide? You know, it's the, if only blank, then blank. You know, that tells us what are you looking to and what are you hoping it'll give to you. And what the thing you're hoping it'll give to you, that, you're supposed to ultimately look to God as the source of that. And then, as we think about for a community, Micah is acting as a prophet and he has the Spirit of God on in him. We've all been given the Spirit of God now as when we trust in Jesus, we've been given the Spirit of God. So as a community, you know, as we see each other turning to things other than God, turning to things that are lesser than God um, for our ultimate source of satisfaction, peace, security, happiness, rest, love, acceptance, approval, respect, freedom. When we see each other turning to something else other than God as the ultimate source for those things, we turn each other back to God with compassion, uh, with with love, um, with uh, the lamenting and wailing when we see somebody going the wrong way. We're not annoyed by it, we're not, but we're grieving people like, I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned for your soul in the direction you're going. Mike has concern for these people. And so we need to be a community that's always helping one another. I want you to find God to be the ultimate source of all those things you're looking for. And so let's be a community that allows the Spirit to do that uh, in us and through us as we act as uh, let the, as the Spirit uses us for each other. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Micah. Thank you for words he gives to us. Would you let us look to you as uh, the ultimate source of all things? In your son's name we pray. Amen.